Christmas inherently, in our culture anyway, is a bit ironic in that the actual advent of Christ includes angelic heralds of peace. (laughs) But in our culture at times, the Christmas season seems, if we're not careful, to lack that very thing. I know other cultures are different, but there are trappings to the season responsibilities, commitments that um, can be obstacles uh, to us experiencing the peace of Christ if we're not careful and if we do not truly understand. Nostalgia can raise its head and provide a halfway decent substitute for a while, but nostalgia and rehearsing our past and our traditions They have their place, but they are not peace. There are many things that get in the way of us experiencing peace, and I want us to look at some of them in the scripture and various ways of looking at peace itself. But before I do, I ask you this question. Do you feel as though right now where you're at in your life, you are on a regular basis experiencing the peace of Christ? It's a totally fair question. And if not, why? Perhaps I could ask another question. Are you here this morning and perhaps you don't truly know the answer to that question? How do I know I'm actually experiencing the peace of Christ versus some other version of something else? That too is an important question. The first definition of peace, I guess we'll look at, I'm oversimplifying here this morning. Let's say that peace, first definition, is the absence of conflict. Wanna go with that? So the absence of conflict for some at this rudimentary understanding and experience of peace is is in fact peace. A, A truce in a war would be peace. Peace in that context is probably different than peace in where we're sitting here today, granted. But let's say that peace is the absence of conflict, the presence of a truce, temporary, although it may be, of freedom, uh, or the absence of a lack of a disturbance. Um, I read somewhere online that a war is defined historically as something whereby a thousand people have perished. I I don't know who came up with that. If that's the case, then 8% of time in the last 35 years have actually had the absence of conflict in this world, 8%. My guess is there's never truly been on this globe the presence of peace if peace is defined by the absence of conflict. There's always aggressive conflict somewhere in the world between two cultures, two nations, two superpowers, two villages, something. So in this world, we'll just say that the first definition of peace is the absence of conflict. Um, I was at an elders meeting. Um, we have an elders meeting every couple of weeks, and one of the, one of the guys uh, usually leads a devotion. It was Carl Littlefield's turn this past week, which I look forward to. 
I think he's insightful. He's talking about this concept, never heard before, uh, almost the, uh, the faithfulness of opposition, the faithfulness of an enemy, meaning there is a consistency built in to our lives of an enemy that is consistently uh, and can be depended upon to consistently resist us. And that's true in many areas of life. That is a reality that we have an enemy who is consistently opposing us. That's not necessarily a good thing, but it could be a good thing if it changes us, sharpens us, quickens us, and makes us better disciples. In fact, we're not going to change the situation. We might as well leverage it for something positive. So there's always an opposition to us as believers, number one, at least in this life. The second thing I would say is there's always going to be tension, and tension doesn't necessarily have to be wrong. If tension can lead to growth, if tension can lead to change, if tension can lead to repentance, if tension or conflict can bring about a refining process in our life, then we can leverage it and be good stewards of it. If we resist tension, resist correction, resist rebuke, resist conflict, resist personal responsibility, then then we're gonna be in worse shape than when we started. Um, We have relational conflict to deal with in life. We have have a conflict within each of our own minds and hearts, let alone with relationships with others. We have this war going on, some some of us do at times, between the flesh and the spirit, between the law in the spirit between, uh, Paul says in Romans seven, I don't do what I wanna do and what I wanna do, I don't do that. He's got all kind of conflict happening in his life, trying to figure it out, all within his own little tabernacle here. Each of us have that. Should I work? Should I balance my life in this way? What do I do with my time? Am I I, uh, depriving somebody of this? Whatever, there's always conflict. There's geopolitical opposition in the world today, as we well know. Nations rise up and rage against nations. And there is within our own culture a political opposition uh, out of the wisdom of our forefathers. Uh, At the very least, a two-party system ensures a tension between uh, two ideologies, if not three, if you had three parties, or four, like Israel, I don't know how many parties they have. But this tension, the tension even between our branches of government, the power of the purse, the executive branch, the judicial branch, our forefathers put these together to create checks and balances, tension and conflict, and they probably had it right. Uh, In a two-party political system, if one party took over the other party, uh, let's say it was the, the more liberal of the two took over, the more conservative of the two would have to fight back in some way, shape, or form. If they were the minority, it could lead to a civil war. It could go back the other way. There's a, there's a check and balance in life. At least there is in our country. And we have to figure this out. The animal kingdom has it. The morality of, of people, there's a tension there. So if peace is defined by the absence of conflict, we're in trouble because we're just at up with conflict. Is that a word, et? I hear it all the time. I'm done at up with it. I don't even know what that means. But there's conflict. So if peace is nothing more than the absence of conflict, we're really gonna have to discipline ourselves to have some peace. Second definition of peace or understanding. 
comes from the advent. This, this idea that the advent of the Christ child is somehow gonna usher in, introduce something that's beyond just simply the absence of conflict. Um, and before he came, the, Is the Israelites, the Jewish people anyway, they, <laughs> they had plenty of conflict. They were overtaxed, overburdened. Uh, they were looking for a Messiah. He was prophesied. They're looking for him to come. And they're, they're counting on him to somehow do something political to get these people off their backs so they don't have to pay so much tax. I mean, they're really, they have no peace. So the advent of Christ to many was an opportunity, to be honest with you, to reform the tax code <laughs> or to, uh, to have their own government, their own nation state. We look at things differently, don't we? So what do the heralds say? They say, Luke 2, 13 to 14, and suddenly there was an angel, with an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. There it was. We've just now announced that perhaps this child that was born can bring about a peace that is differentially, can be differentially experienced from a peace just with the absence of conflict. Maybe there's a possibility that even in conflict, this Messiah can give us peace. At least there's the hope of that. And they don't really know, it's just a baby at this point. Doesn't hurt to, doesn't hurt to count on it though, does it? There's a third understanding of peace that comes about <clears throat> As Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and he came into public eye, public ministry, and he, um, well, he became the epicenter of the whole entire Roman Empire in many ways. And when he rose from the dead, we have now the introduction of something else. Okay, there was the absence of conflict, now we've got this, this Christ child life somehow is gonna give us a peace. Even the disciples himself in the book of Acts are thinking, when are you gonna restore Israel? They still haven't got the political thing figured out. But then, here we go, he's risen from the dead. Now what does this mean? What could this mean in terms of peace? The Prince of Peace now, post-resurrection, has ascended the throne. And now the prince is a king, full-fledged king of every king and lord of every lord. Now how is he going to facilitate the allocation of that kind of peace? And it's a different peace altogether than we started with. Um, it is a post-resurrection ascension peace that you nor I in our best of days will ever, ever understand. Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind, minds in Christ Jesus. All right, here we go. Mind-blowing peace, whether there's conflict present or not, given to us by a resurrected Lord who's now the king, not the prince a mind-blowing peace 
a peace that exceeds our ability to understand it, manipulate it, control it, define it. It just is, it's, in, it's now in its own category and it's now available to us, a transcendent peace. I'm interested. That same transcendent peace now is, um, is now being likened to other things that Christ, the risen Christ, now has for us that are also transcendent, that are also not conditional upon happenings, circumstances, things in life. They operate and are defined and experienced at a different level and are not contingent upon what is going on beneath them. They transcend that. They transcend normal life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. Joy and peace now, the things that the Advent promised, are now coming to fruition, and they're now available, and you can actually have joy in the midst of trials, says James. Okay, we're not talking about the absence of conflict anymore. We're not talking the absence of things going your way. We're not talking about everything going your way so you feel good. We're talking about everything could go bad for you and you still have joy and you still have peace. Transcendent joy and transcendent peace all afforded us through the indwelling of Christ, of the Spirit of God himself in us that his transcendent peace and his transcendent joy are now ours to experience. And they're in no way, shape, or form limited, defined, controlled, or manipulated by an enemy who's consistently against us or circumstances in life that don't go our way, including medical, physical, spiritual, relational, intellectual, social, geopolitical, or governmental, or any other mental. There it is. It's that piece right there. Give me some of that. And then we learn. Count it all pure joy when you fall into various trials. When people persecute you, when they mock you, when they want to kill you for your faith. Yeah, that's a different thing. That's a different thing in the absence of conflict. That's the presence of conflict and a greater presence of peace and joy in the midst of it. That's what we've been given. If I asked you today, do you have the peace of Christ actively involved in your life? The reasons I can think of why you wouldn't have something to do with your past, something to do with your present, or something to do with your anticipated future. Anxiety is living in the future before it ever comes. If you have anxiety, you have stress, you have worry, you have concern, you have trepidation, you have fear, and you're living in a future that hasn't come yet, you're robbing yourself of your present and you're robbing yourself of transcendent joy and peace that are not tied to your current circumstance. Some of you are exhausted. Some of you are exhausted and you realize it. Others of you are exhausted and you don't realize it. I'd much rather realize it. He whose mind is steadfast upon the Lord will have a 
Level four peace. Transcendent peace. Peace isn't just the absence of movement and the presence of stillness. Peace is a connection with he who is peace. To have that peace, you have to have him. He doesn't just give it out apart from himself. It's a peace that transcends all understanding. And what does it do? Is it just simply a peace that makes you feel good that day? Just a possible euphoric kind of uh, peace adrenaline rush? Is that all it is? Is it just a feeling? Is it just a medicinal thing to get you through the day? Is it a transcendent peace that doesn't match up with what you're going through, but it gets you through like you would an ibuprofen? Or what is, what is this transcendent peace? Is that all it is, is a feeling, an experience? Is that all a maintenance to get you through the day, the week, the season? Is that all it is? No, no, this peace is active and it guards. It stands guard over your heart to prevent anything from seeping into your heart that would corrupt your heart and cost you the peace. And it guards your heart and it guards your mind. Oh my goodness, it has a, this piece actively involves himself, not itself, himself in the monitoring of what I place in my heart, allow in my heart, what I need to cleanse from my heart, purify from my heart, which is costing me that peace to begin with. And over my mind, it's actively pursuing something that's taking my mind and giving me a fixation on Christ, the author and perfecter of my faith. That is an active peace. That is a divine peace. That peace is moving. Move it and shake it. That peace is cleansing, refining, guarding, protecting, restoring. Man, that's cool. That's not the absence of conflict. I can have so much conflict in my life, but as soon as he ushers in that perfect peace, my heart's not worried about it. My mind's not obsessed with it. I'm not living in the future anxiety that hasn't even happened yet. I'm enjoying being with you in this present moment. And all things old have passed away. And all things have become new. Now that's a process for many of us. But a process well worth engaging in. This ultimate peace becomes eternal. That's how powerful it is. It started out with a statement from a few angels in the little field full of crags and caves outside Bethlehem. And now it potentially blankets every heart and every mind for all eternity for those who give their life to Christ. Wow, a lot has happened. Yes, the wolf shall live, down, live with the lamb and lie down with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the lion and the fatling together and the little child shall lead them. We're talking about an eternal peace here. Because that rascal enemy who currently can resist us, we thrown into a lake of fire and there will be no more problem there. Peace. Peace like a river, like a river of life. 
Isaiah said it this way, about the Advent season, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. If I say to you this morning, are you experiencing on a fairly regular basis the peace of Christ, this transcendent version that's been out for a while now? It's probably because if you are, you realize a couple things. The battle really isn't yours. I don't know why we promote ourselves be in charge of some battles? <laughs> like, based on what? Why are we in charge of some battles when the battle is the Lord's? Why, why are we inserting ourselves in other people's issues without the leading of the Spirit? What, who put us in charge of that? Who put us in charge of other people's lives and inserting ourselves without praying about it, thinking about it, but to exhaust ourselves without any boundaries into other people's lives to get their life fixed up? There's a place for that, but it's not a lifestyle. It's not a lifestyle. The battle belongs to the Lord. I'm sorry, but I am not a general in the Lord's army. I'm a private. I'm not going to have some messianic complex that my role in life is to care for everybody and fix every mistake they've ever made. I am gonna be there for people, I am gonna encourage them, I am gonna help people under the leading of the Spirit, but at the end of the day, my friend, the battle is the Lord's. If you wanna if you want to totally rid yourself of the transcendent peace of Christ and have no guarded heart and no guarded mind, then don't guard your heart and guard your mind. You'll never get to that place. We can't be, the people in ministry, vocational and lay ministry need to know this. Please listen. Ministry to other people isn't the same and doesn't facilitate a peace that you're supposed to minister out of by abiding in the very Christ who abides in you first. We end up empty and in charge, large and in charge. And it looks good on the outside and the church is growing, the people are doing this and doing that and then they're planting these other churches and this is going great. And then somewhere along the line, whatever happened to so-and-so? I don't know, ask his girlfriend. Ask his ex-wife. We have to understand that our peace first comes from Christ, not what we do in his name or do for him, but from him and in him and through him. Peace. If, if I had to think of, maybe you can think of a better one, but if I had to think of a litmus test that I would use to get an idea of where someone is in their walk with Christ, I would use two words. And I would look for those two words in that person's life 
If I didn't see them, I'd probably see some other words. The first one is poise. Poise, we don't use it anymore. But poise is not overreactive. Poise is not over-emotional. Poise has got a prudence to it. It's a, it's a person who's settled and the situation doesn't dictate their response. The Spirit of God does. It's an inside-out thing, not an outside-in thing. Uh, if you want to help people that you work with, help people in your family, you want to minister to them, look for the people who are living from the outside in and help them to one, realize it, and two, help them to live from the inside out. The outside in thing is putting this, <laughs> think about it. How messed up is this secular world? We're putting them in charge of what's going on inside of us? Please. Even if you've been wrong by someone, and you haven't yet really got to that point to loose them and let them go and forgive them and restore and renew, you still have to live from the inside out. The absence of poise is the absence of peace. This kind of peace that we need, it's not there. Poise. And the second is peace. I'm looking for a person who I'm gonna to declare to really, in my own mind, say, that person has really grown in Christ. They have a peace about them. They don't complain. They don't blame. They don't ridicule. And they're not angry about much. They have poise and they have peace. There it is. That's a dead giveaway. Of course, love. Of course, the fruit of the Spirit. But peace, poise. I'll, I'll read it again, Isaiah 26 and three. I encourage you to, to get familiar with this. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. When we get ill, when we go through trauma, when we go through therapy, when we go we're in the hospital, when we're just tired of the whole thing, we're exhausted, when we're caregiving and caregiving and caregiving as though it'll never, ever end. That person has to, for the benefit of the person you're caring for, you have to gravitate toward a perfect peace that's found only in him. To have what's needed to give to the person that you're honoring in their death, honoring in their sickness, honoring as a parent. You have to have that perfect peace. It's not something you can rely, you can't rely on a lesser level you can't rely on a cheaper version. You, you have to have the champagne of peace. You can't have the, the Paps Blue Ribbon peace. You've got to have the big kahuna peace that comes from Christ, that transcends the situation because the situation frankly stinks. And to rise above that, you need the peace of Christ. Not the absence of conflict, not the absence of sickness, not the absence of lack, or the absence of plenty or abundance. You're gonna have a perfect peace when you bind with and enjoy this transcendent peace of Christ that was promised at Advent. We have to have that to sustain us. For what it's worth, I come up with the following acronym for peace. If I'm gonna have peace in my life, and boy, and there have been some times 
when I have it. I realize that I have to, first of all, P stands for promises. I have to, I have to count on, rely upon, rehearse, and actually believe and trust the Christ. His promises are yes and amen. If he promised me something, I don't need to worry about whether it's gonna happen. I, I don't even have to worry about when it's gonna happen. I just need to know it's a done deal and I don't have to impart my will into it. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to write a commentary on it. I don't even have to preach on it. All I need to know is if he promised me something, it's a done deal. That's the first foundational thing that I personally need to enjoy peace in my life. And someone telling me it will or won't happen at that point doesn't matter. Someone who believes me or doesn't or thinks I'm silly doesn't matter. The promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. If you know the promises of God, you really have a whole lot less to worry about than you thought you did. Promises. If you don't know the promises of God, you're winging it and it's probably making the peace that you understand and experience in your life more volatile than it's meant to be. If your grandchildren haven't grown to the point where they understand the promises that have made by God to them as individuals, the inheritance that they have, the calling on their life, the giftedness that's available to them, the love that's available to them, if they grow up misunderstanding or having no understanding of the promises of God, they're going to be relying upon the promises of men. And while you might be very trustworthy, many are not. Promises. I'm gonna read a story to you that explains the second one, starts with E. I find this interesting. In my late 20s, this was written by Tim Hansel in a book called Holy Sweat. In my late 20s, a bunch of my friends and I decided to sail around the world. I have to admit though, at the time I was a bit worried. I hadn't even sailed before. I was uneasy and anxious. So I spent a lot of time reading the Bible and praying about it until it dawned on me that God was whispering, Tim, I'll give you peace if you read some books about sailing. (laughs) It's pretty simple, right? God's not too sophisticated at times. The reason you're anxious is not due to lack of prayer, but to your lack of sailing knowledge. I wasn't unprayerful. I was unskilled. So I took a step and I needed to take to let God work his peace in my heart. I began reading about sailing. When we overcompensate in one area in which we find ourselves strong at the expense of an area that is actually crucial and essential, What's the guy gonna do when he's the only one on the boat left, everyone's off board, they've all drowned, the storm's coming, he's the only one on there. What's he gonna do, just stand there and pray? It might help if he knows how to do something with the boat or the radio. So education, and and you think, well, you're being silly here. What does education have to do with peace? Are you kidding me? Go to YouTube and listen to people and how ignorant they are and you only need 10 minutes speaking on subjects for which they make absolutely no sense, have no rationale, no reason, no logic, no truth, no basis. They have no education. 
They're making statements that, that, are, that, are, that are core values of their life for which they absolutely know nothing. Educate yourself. P-E-A, abiding, abiding. I just, I love what Paul says, I just want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Can I just say that? And it's almost as though he's written all these epistles and he's been in jail writing them and they're bringing him ink and pens and food and blankets and coats and he finally realizes, you know what? I haven't said the thing that I really wanted to say. I should have said a long time ago to all these people in the other, these, these other letters. Let me just say it now. I want to know Christ. <laughs> I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Everything else is excrement. I just want to know Christ. <laughs> Thank you, sir, for just boiling that down. I appreciate it. Uh, you can take thousands of years of doctrinal examination and just say, I just want to know Christ, man. I want to abide in him. I want to know that I can rest in him and he rests in me and that we're in the same vine and we're together and I'm inseparable for him. Nothing can pluck me from his hand. He's with me. If I know his promises and I got a halfway decent mind about what's going on in my life and I'm not an idiot and I'm studious about what's happening and, and I'm abiding in him, how can I not have peace? How is that? That's, it's more difficult to not have peace at that point than it is to have it. And the last, the C, ceasing. If there's a compromise in the peace in my life, I can almost be fairly certain, knowing what I know about me, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's different for you, but there's probably something in my life that needs to cease. I may not know what it is, but I need to educate myself. What is it that I probably don't need to be doing that I'm doing that's not creating the space for the peace of God or God, the Spirit of God? What's taking up space in my mind and my thoughts and my heart and my unguarded mind, my unguarded heart, so that the transcendent peace of God has no place to lay down and enjoy a hospitable place in my life? as a tabernacle of the Spirit of God. What's taking up space? What's crowding out? So if you wanna have peace, focus on the promises of God. Educate yourself on, on things that you otherwise shouldn't even be worried about. Abide in Christ and cease something. If you don't know what it is, he'll tell you, because he didn't want it there either. And then always, you can't, you can't leave this out. You have to exalt him. You have to worship him. That, to me, is the recipe for peace. And that's just me. But if I'm right on any level, <clears throat> and you have a less than or compromised peace in your walk with Christ, I'm probably not far off. And... And if you're just whining all the time and complaining and upset or whatever, something in these five areas is being ignored or something's, something's not right. As our song leaders come up at the end of this service, 
I'm not gonna pretend to, I'm gonna read this to you. I'm not gonna pretend that I'm gonna do it any justice better than the one who wrote it. Psalm 91. <coughs> he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Picture yourself now, picture yourself. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in, in him I will trust. Surely he ha shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Let me say it a little differently, without compromising. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, or the arrow that flies by day, or previously in another day, in another season of your life or the pestilence that walks in darkness, or the pestilence that came your way years ago that still has a residue to it, nor the destruction that came your way long ago that laid waste at a different noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For you shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In your hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. The young lion and the serpent shall trample underfoot, because he has set his love upon me. Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him, and I will honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Charles Wesley summarized it this way. I rest be beneath the Almighty's shade. My griefs expire, my troubles cease. Thou, Lord, on whom my soul is stayed, will keep me still in perfect peace. You are a child of the King. You rest under the wings and the feathers of the Almighty. His promises are yes and amen. Quickens your mind and gives you the mind of Christ, renews your understanding of the world in which you live in. You abide in him and you cease whatever he calls you to cease. And as you exalt and worship him, he guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You find yourself void of anxiety and fear, full of promise and hope. You no longer worry about the presence or absence of conflict, times of lack. If you live and abide in him, the battle is his, and you belong to him. And he is your Lord, and you are not, and nor am I. Amen? Amen. Let's think about that as we close.